0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Today's guest is coming all the way out of Houston, Texas. I've got Matthew Jordan, who's the managing partner at Limitless Crypto Investments. Thank you so much for your time today, Matthew. I appreciate
1: it. Thanks for having me
0: on. Not a worry at all. Hey, look, very interested in your background and coming into Limitless Crypto Investments. Um, Obviously, you started this. Well, I say obviously, no one knows this but me because i got it written on a piece of paper. You started the business in August of 2017. Do you want to tell us a bit about your story coming up to that moment when you basically decided that you were going to go out into this fund?
1: So basically what happened is I... uh,
0: I'd worked for a startup
1: that was in built out, basically, personal health records, electronic health records, and dealt with data, The uh, basically the network effect on how the hospitals worked with that data and what they did with that. Um, and then I, I kind of got into crypto in like 2015, um, bought into the idea of decentralized uh, networks um, in terms of what you can do with conditional statements, more so on the fact of Ethereum, I was really intrigued by that, a decentralized computer. Um, and in about August 2017, I kind of planned out for six months prior to that, what we were going to do, how were we were going to market, and then initially launched the fund in August of 17. And it has been quite a wild ride in terms of what the market's done and what we see now and what we think is about to happen.
0: Yeah, well, it was certainly an interesting period back then. I mean, as, I've, as many of the listeners know, that was sort of around the time I started trading. I was in in July and started trading actively August, September. Uh, and it was a wonderful run-up, wasn't it? It was a truly fantastic period of time to be an investor or a trader in the space as long as you knew how to exit. Um, and um, then, of course, we went into into basically Christmas Day was when it started to all unravel somewhat. And we did see the markets come off throughout 2018, which many people are very, very aware of. How did you guys go throughout that period?
1: So basically, we a lot of the risk was mitigated in terms of deals that we were in uh, that actually weren't trading. And so in terms of the drawdown, it allowed us to kind of be nimble on our feet. And we're not too big of a fund, so it allows us to be quick in and out of positions uh, in terms of the venture capital side kind of has primarily made a heavy effect on kind of the returns in 2018 and coming in 2019. So that helped us weather the storm quite a bit.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And that's a big part of it is making sure that you can weather that storm because that's the important part of it. Now with you guys being over in the U S obviously, there are some different rules around the type of person that can invest. Have you seen this as a, as a, as a heaven center? Have you seen this as something that's been somewhat difficult because you've got to have a, I think they call them accredited investors. Is it an issue or is there plenty of them over there that are ready to have a go?
1: So, I personally, I think that there should be a test that makes you basically qualify in order to invest into a private placement. Just so accredited investors, 200,000 prior to two years and one year in the future with primary, with your assets being 1 million, excluding your primary residence, so that excludes quite a bit of people. Yes. Um, but also it basically just says if you're above that threshold, you're, you're knowledgeable, you understand your investments and that's almost, not quite the case, just because you might have a finance, certified financial analyst who makes 150 dollars a year, who's taken a three-year test um, and actually writes projections for companies. But he can't invest in these private placements strictly because he doesn't make $200,000 a year or own or have a million dollars in assets. So it just doesn't, just doesn't quite add up in terms of what the uh, regulators are wanting from the industry.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I mean, one of the things that's really interesting is what, uh, what's been going on behind the scenes. I mean, I'm in a pretty fortunate position right now that I'm able to, to, well, not just right now, but for the last year or so that I've been able to, um, speak with a lot of the developers of projects as well as the vcs private equity you know all these sorts of different moves and shakers and even the creators of some of the uh the programs like you know joe lubin and whatnot to understand exactly what's going on not just from the investor side but also from the tech side of things now i'll be honest i i'm much more about the investor side it's my business, it's my understanding it's my world of comfort Comfort. the tech side geez i am no good at that sort of stuff that being said, I'm seeing progression and excitement and enthusiasm and growth from both the investment world as well as the world of the actual creation of that technology. What do you see moving forward throughout 2019 into our future in this blockchain and crypto asset space? So
1: right now, I'm very excited in terms of a lot of these projects that haven't been traded that were massively funded in 2017, 2018 are kind of, they're about to come into fruition. So we're about to see, as we call, the smart contract uh, protocol wars um, in terms of where these DAPs can basically develop their uh, solutions in terms of, but our true main focus has been on enterprise-ready solutions, industrial applications built on some of these uh, smart contract protocols. Just being here in Houston, we kind of have a keen focus mm. on healthcare, uh, products and energy the inter- in the energy energy industry so that's that's kind of where I am seeing. I'm very excited to see these companies come out see what they do seeing actually execute on some of their promises the big old promises that they made kind of in 2017 and 18 yeah. kind of getting real users on there
0: Well, that's it. It's about how the rubber hits the road and when that rubber hits the road, of course. And I was going to actually ask you, the next question was about the healthcare and energy markets. I mean, what exactly are you looking for as the applications within these spaces? Because these are, you know, they're hugely disruptive marketplaces. Obviously, why blockchain is there and why you're there. What sort of things are you looking for execution-wise for the players you have in both healthcare and energy markets?
1: So, basically... A lot of these companies have came to us and they kind of want to understand the technology in terms of how, how can we utilize it, what can we do? And so they're very, uh, these bigger companies, cost of capital is the biggest thing. How do we free up capital to use elsewhere? I go, if we read about the smart contract, what they can do, these conditional statements. I'm like, we can build out the greatest, best solution that you have, but if you don't get your counterparties, your trading partners to go, I'm gonna use that system, it's worthless. So basically what they've kind of understood is a member driven, uh, solution product and they have to get everybody involved in order for it to be actually useful. It's kind of the same way, uh, when the internet came about companies developed their own almost ARPANET. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they soon realized it extracts no value unless they're all on the same page and they're all, and they're all on this one, on this one, uh, internet page, HTML. So, that's kind of what they're seeing now. We're seeing who wants to do what. And there's like energy, pro- there's what's called, it's called VACT out of London um, in terms of getting market industry participants basically on their platform. Um, and they're driving it as a member driven protocol uh, operating within the system. But BP actually owns it. So we're not quite sure how that's going to go when people are, it always comes down to what's in it for me if I join. Mm. And that's kind of where we see a lot of the friction with some of these companies coming in.
0: Yeah, I can, I can understand that in a big way. And I mean, there's been a lot of change that's been occurring um, and a lot of lessons for a lot of people since the heady heights of 2017. Uh, a lot of people have been burnt. Uh, a lot of projects, some um, that looked good on paper just didn't have the right business brains behind them. We, we definitely have seen a number of projects just almost just sneak away and vanish. And that's because I've had really, really, really poor treasury management. Now, I certainly know what I believe I've learned from uh, the seventeen eighteen run through. Uh, I only got involved in two ICOs throughout that entire period because it wasn't something that I truly understood. And I was pretty happy just trading. It was a real bonanza for me throughout that period of time. Um, so, like, I mean, what have you seen as being some of the major takeaways and lessons – learn as we've evolved in the two years well probably one and a half years from sort of 2017 all the way through to 2019 where we are now
1: um basically preservation of capital and you never go broke taking a profit um and always 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 hedging your bets um even if you do believe in the technology um the hype might get in your mind and so it's keeping keeping your biases in check um, always, especially in crypto, it's a very cult-oriented uh, industry almost in terms of the, the groups that get behind stuff. And they've a lot of these token run-ups have literally changed people's lives. And so yeah. it's very hard for them to detach their emotion, the, their emotion away from something that literally allowed them to quit their job, pay off their mortgage, buy their mom's house, buy their mom a car, um, and stuff like that. And so you can keep that in check you can still benefit from the upside and you don't have to quite as much suffer from the downside. Cause you're always hedging your bets.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, look, I've met a lot of people in my travels around the world in the last year or so that have had those life changing, uh, amounts of money made. I've met people that were smart enough to realize that and sort of look back and go, well, you know, or sorry, not look back, but at the time look at things and go, well, you know, realistically, why wouldn't I take some profits here? You know, there's enough money here that I can literally free myself of all the restraints of working and whatnot. And I can focus on what I want to do, whatever that may be. I've also seen the other side of that, of the people that just really, unfortunately for them, they just didn't have the foresight to understand that things don't go up forever. And whenever you've got a, truly life-changing amount of money that's sniffing around, you really should be looking to take some profit. So I think there's a lot of people out there right now taking heed to that and uh, really positioning themselves for the next time we do see this market go up and I do believe we will see it next time that um, provided that the assets that they're holding do go well, there'll be some profit taking coming in. I also think that one of the biggest things that people need to take away from this most recent 2018 spill is that treasury management side and the business business side of things without revenue. We can't survive. Uh, it's as simple as that. Revenue is oxygen to a business. Now, if you have revenue, if, sorry, if you don't have revenue, but you've done a successful raise and you have tens of millions of dollars in the bank, then that's also, you know, that's like a, a scuba tank. It keeps you alive for such a, a certain amount of time. That being said, if, if you don't have a CFO that knows how to manage your treasury well ethereum goes down so too does your business i think that's a focus that a lot of people are starting to learn now as we see projects running out of money
1: mm-hmm. personally i uh it also disincentivizes a lot of the founders when they sit there and they raise a massive amount of money mm-hmm. just based on a deck and a white paper it so if they're sitting with 20 million in the bank and they go okay well my paycheck is not locked down for the next five, 10 years, it's, it's all right. Kind of, there's no, their back is never against the wall. So there's no sense yeah. of urgency in order to kind of ship that product. Um, and that's, I mean, that's kind of where entrepreneurship stems from. Um, you stay lean and mean, do things fast, fail quick um, and, and get it done. And so it's, when you look at these, there's a reason why the traditional VC financing has been into effect for so long in terms of, Once you hit milestones and you need more funding to grow, you do another round, you do another round. That's how it works. It's not, you get $100 million up front based on a white paper. So that's (laughs) kind of, especially with people that have never even managed money before, let alone seen even close to that amount of money in their bank account before. It just, the incentives just aren't aligned and it just leads to very, very bad decisions.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's almost a reverse business model, wasn't it? Uh, you did a little bit of work up front, got all the money instantly and then did nothing as opposed to do all the work for a long period of time. And then in 10 or 15 years, you have your exit where you sell the company. <laughs> it was the, it was the mm-hmm. wrong way around for many people. you know. And it, it definitely, as you say, as a startup, as a business, having a lot of money can often be a bad thing. Because it can affect the culture. It can affect the attitudes and mindsets. As you say, lean and mean. You've got to have that desire to push on and grow. And without it, well, nothing really happens. So, I mean, I guess one of the things I want to ask as well is what sort of, um, what sort of businesses, I mean, I know you say healthcare and energy, right? So, so that's the sectors that you're sort of focused on. What sort of businesses are you looking at? Uh, at the moment, you don't have to give me any names, of course, but what sort of, what sort of things do you see as being important uh, in the run through, well, when I say in the run, I mean, you know, in the time of 2019 leading into the end of the first quarter of this year?
1: Um, so basically, we, is smaller projects that are data-driven with contract and workflow automation, not so much kind of blockchain. So I I see that these applications are going to run blockchain in the background because a lot of people don't like understand how the internet works. They don't really care. They just like to use it. A lot of people are going to like to use blockchain and they're going to want the contract and workflow automation, Um, but they're not going to really know what goes on in the background. And so I always do the analogy 70% workflow contract, 30% blockchain. So that is kind of the projects that I think will come out in terms of what people will actually use. Um, Blockchain has a incredible ability to get people in the room. And it has been awesome as in terms of moving some of these initiatives forward. Let it be, even if it's not the biggest, the problem that they wanted to use. um, That is what is going to happen basically here in Houston. It's these companies come in and realize and use these applications and it just runs a blockchain. and goes on a blockchain in the background.
0: Yeah. So very similar to the way we use the internet right now. I don't know how the bloody thing works, but I know what I can do on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Awesome. All right. And is there any, uh, anything else you'd like to uh, bring up uh, for this conversation based on what you guys are doing, what you're seeing for the future and anything we should know?
1: Um, basically it has been a wild ride to kind of see the evolution in terms of people are like our are tokens dead, what's going on. Um, and I just wanted to preach in terms of founders, Mm. it makes no, there's no difference in terms of if you raise at the beginning, a little round, do a little progress, just because don't be afraid to fail in terms of that's what kind of see is what's going on with some of these start smaller startups. They, uh, they're not sure what to do. It's just try things, fail fast, fail quick, and then move on, move to the next one. And so that's what I like to preach to all these entrepreneurs that are going around Houston or wherever, what they're trying to build out. Happens to everyone. Startups are hard and it's just part of the game.
0: Exactly. Mate, preach it as loud as you can because that is the truth. The man speaks a lot of good stuff and he speaks a lot of truths. It's been an absolute pleasure, Matthew. Jordan, managing partner at Limitless Crypto Investments. Where can people find out more information about you and what you're doing?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me uh, on Twitter at Matt underscore M underscore Jordan. Um, and you can also find us on our website. Um, if you have a project, um, that you want us to take a look at, submit it through the project box, um, and we'll
0: shoot you an email back. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed that one. Speak to you again very soon. Bye for now.